podcast. The book of Acts picks up right where the four gospels leave off. The risen Christ commissioned his disciples to go into all the world and preach the good news. Acts tells us exactly how that happened, how the soul-saving message of the gospel spread throughout the entire Roman Empire in less than 30 years. Through enormous obstacles and without many resources, proven leadership, or modern technologies, these early Christians turned the world upside down because they had the Holy Spirit at work in their lives. This is their story. Let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through this amazing book. All right, it is that time to get started. We are headed to Acts chapter 1, of course. We started a new book. We are going to be finishing up the, the second half of the chapter and not before going to the Lord for a word of prayer. Father God, we always like to bow before we consider your word We acknowledge that it's God-breathed. It didn't have its origin in any man. It doesn't come from earth. It comes from heaven. And we pray that you would enable our hearts to receive the word that's sharp, like a sword that can cut in to down deep where we don't even know, where spirit and soul meet together inside our hearts. Well, you made us, God, So you know how to speak to us. You know what each person needs to hear and take away. Whether it be comfort or correction, you breathe and you speak, and we are better for it. So help us to hear what the Spirit is saying. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. I do mention it often because it's so indicative of the times and so characteristic of the sinful nature the stop sign in Sebastopol, you recall that was spray painted by some mindless rebel, adding to the word stop that's there, they spray painted diagonally up across it the word God. So it read, stop God, (laughs) which always was very entertaining to drive by as a born-again Christian. Any believer would drive by and be entertained by that thought. Now, at least this vandal is honest. Uh, He's not very wise nor practical. Uh, He hates the whole idea of God, right? Not afraid to let the world know that he'd love to see Christianity come to a screeching halt with its call to repent of sins and submit to the Lord and obey his commands. How about my life? What I want to do, you know? So yeah, stop God. That same sentiment first expressed by the movement's founding father, Satan himself. He was called Lucifer at the time, quite a glorious angelic being, but he fell in love with himself and wanted to raise his throne above the throne of God. Not a good idea. 
and a third of the angels apparently wanted to stop God too and they joined the movement and they are now called demons who are helping with the great cause as it were. And as silly as it sounds to you and me, the Stop God campaign is responsible throughout the ages. It's a relentless ongoing onslaught to kill the Lord's prophets, to destroy the Lord's chosen people, even as we speak. Rockets are being fired into God's nation, Israel, to wipe Israel off the face of the earth and stop God. Well, then they also want to persecute the church, jail pastors, blow up churches, martyr Christians, and pervert the soul-saving message of the gospel into a bunch of errors and lies and heresy that can never save anyone, as wonderful as it may appear to sound. And so, yeah, uh, try as they may they will never succeed because there's a proverb (laughs) that the guy who spray-painted the stop sign should have read before he even thought about doing so. There's no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. Stop, God? Are you kidding me? Right? So thank you for that slide. This is the message of the book of Acts, an extension of the Lord's promise when he said, bingo, I am the Son of God. I have come down from heaven to do my Father's will. That's who I am. And upon that truth, I will build my church. And the gates of hell, meaning the power of death and the devil itself, is not going to prevail against my intention to fill the earth with the knowledge of the truth that people can be saved. The church, right? So yes, indeed, that's the book of Acts, how... Nothing, all of those obstacles and and all of the Stop God campaign that's even fueled by the supernatural beings, spirits of darkness in heavenly places, the Bible calls them. Yeah, even that. You know, outlawing the message they've tried, they they will you you'll see in the book of Acts, jailing violators, flogging them, putting them to death. All of this. And the church, always, lack of funding, lack of proven leadership in those early days. But one thing they don't lack, they don't lack the power of God. And God has a plan. And God has told them now in the last uh, few verses that we finished off last week and are jumping off point for this morning to wait in the city because God's going to send a gift of the Holy Spirit. He's going to uh, clothe them with power from on high, is Jesus' words. And so uh, that's the context for what's going on here. Uh, Jesus has raised from the dead. He has ascended with the message. Don't go anywhere until you receive the power. And then I've got a job for you to do. If you're a Christian, if I've saved you, then I'm recruiting you into the Father's business, which is to seek and save the lost. Once you're saved, come help me, because I'm going to continue my work. And so without missing a heartbeat, uh, the Gospel of Luke transitions into Acts chapter 1, which is really the sequel to Luke. And in, as I told you last time, Luke slash Acts was always received in ancient times as one document. It is one writing 
a quarter of the New Testament it is. And so, as I said, now we're going to dive in. Jesus has gone up. He has had the disciples now in waiting mode for their power encounter that's coming next week. And uh, while they're waiting, they're busy working because the work of God goes forward. That is the theme of Acts. God's work advances, with or without you, come high or hell water. God's plan goes forward until God reaches the culmination and every eye shall see him. Amen? Amen. Well, here's, while they're waiting for the power, here's what's going on. Verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem. Jesus, they're at the top of that hill, from the hill called the Mount of Olives. A Sabbath day walked from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room. That would be called the upper room. Where they, they were staying, those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas Bartholomew, which is his easier name is Nathaniel to pronounce, and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot. The word zealot means activist. So even uh, into his Christian role as a disciple, he retained, retained the nickname of being a political activist that's interesting, and then you don't ever hear one thing about him, which says to me he, he needed to learn how to be uh, serving the Lord first and maybe laying the other things aside because how interesting to be called an activist, and then we don't ever hear anything you ever did. You know, I don't know. <laughs> and then there's the other Judas, son of James, not Iscariot, because he is missing from the scene now. Verse 14, they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus. Last time we hear about Mary in the New Testament, right there, and with his brothers, his half-brothers. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit. They share the same mama, but not the same father. In those days, Peter stands up among the 120 of them and says, Brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus that night in the garden. Verse 17, Judas was one of us, one of our number, and shared in this ministry. Verse 18, now, with the reward that he got for his treachery, Judas brought, bought a field. There he fell headlong, and graphic description coming. His body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> that made the headlines. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, and everyone heard about it. And in Aramaic, they called it Akeldama, which is field of blood. For said, for, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, Psalm 69, may his place, referring to Judas a thousand years earlier, may his place be deserted, let no one live there. And in Psalm 109, it says, may another take his place of leadership. So therefore, it's necessary to choose one 
of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness of his resurrection. So they proposed two men, Joseph and Matthias. And then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which one of these guys you've chosen to take over uh, Judas' apostolic ministry that was among us because Judas left to go where he belongs. Wow. Verse 26, then they cast lots, what? And the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the 11 apostles. Lots to talk about here. Very interesting, but more than interesting, it's inspiring and insightful to us because of this. Get this, though, 2,000 years have gone by. What's true about God moving in the midst of his people is true today. The Lord moving in the midst of his congregated people. And so we get to take this passage to heart, and there are a few things going on. And we're going to walk through and talk about these few things. Number one, we'll talk about the church. It congregates. Secondly, a pastor leads. There's always a pastor to give spiritual comfort, framework of thinking of things, and then to lead practically forward. And then there's always defectors. There's always traitors, and they go to their place where they belong. And then finally, the work goes forward. You know, there's a replacement. One goes this way, one goes sideways. There's another one. God says, take him, put him in the place. Because my work goes forward. My work's bigger than y'all, right? If we were in the south or from Georgia, I met somebody from Georgia today. Uh, Yeah, I'm just trying to make you feel welcome, y'all. All right, so let's dive in. Then those are the things. The church congregates, the pastor leads, defectors defect, and the work goes forward. All right, so here we go. We'll dive in with the church in the upper room gathering there. Wow. So I'll paraphrase verses 12 uh, and onward there to 14. Jesus has ascended, right? And the disciples descend down that slope. It's about three-quarters of a mile. That's what a Sabbath day journey. It's an idiom uh, because uh, on the Sabbath you weren't allowed to, by law, Exodus, uh, to take a journey. So the Jews came up with a journey would be more than leaving your village, which is about 2,000 cubits, which is about 3,000 feet, which is about hmm, half a mile or whatever it is. And so, yeah. Uh, that's a Sabbath day. So uh, it's an idiom that means a short distance. <laughs> that's a lot of words for such an easy answer. Uh, once they go upstairs, hence the room uh, is named Upper Room, uh, where they'd be lodging, the 11 disciples are present and accounted for. Verse 14, uh, it, it's there they keep congregating continually, united in prayer. The Greek there's very, very rich. I'll, we'll get into it. And by the way, it's not just the 11. There are women who've been following Jesus from the beginning, including Mary, the mother of the Lord, and his half-brothers also are in the mix. And so let's talk about the people of, congr- uh, the people of God who congregate. That's what we see them doing all through Acts 
They're always together. There's always in a huddle, and for good reason, because that's God's design. He works in a way when we gather as the church that he doesn't work when we don't. And so, yeah, and this is uh, really made very clear by the New Testament when the church is described as the body of Christ. It says very clearly that uh, the church is the uh, body of Christ and each of you are members of it. So in other words, um, an ear, a severed ear off of the body. I guess you could call it an ear on the ground if it's been severed from your body, but I wouldn't. It's not an ear anymore. It's a piece of flesh, really, right? There's a detriment to the ear being severed and there's a detriment to the body where we needed the ear. That's what God says, is that we belong one to another. And from God's point of view, there is no such thing as an isolated Christian that just goes out and does their thing. They're just a Christian. They're in their own little world. They're doing their thing. God says, no, that's not. You only exist as a Christian in the context of part of a body. And part of the body means a local fellowship where there are elders, where there are deacons, where, where the Holy Spirit moves and where there's teaching of God's word and all of these things. And so, uh, yeah, that, that, that is just what it is. And, and a lot of people are missing out on that these days and, and uh, going to have some regrets uh, later. Now, the members of his body return to J- Jerusalem. Uh, notice that they don't forget the sermon that Jesus just preached to them. Go to Jerusalem, go downtown, wait there. I'm going to send the gift that I've been talking to you about in John chapter 14, 15, and 16 at the, in the upper room, the very room that they've just arrived in unpacking their stuff in. Uh, Jesus told them just, I'm going to send you a comforter, a counselor, an advocate. The word means to come alongside and to put your arm around somebody to help them. I'm going to send you the helper. And so Jesus has been telling them that, and then they say, he says, get to that, that place and stay there until you're clothed with power. The upper room, what an important room. And well, what a spiritual investment the owners of that house. Though tradition says that John Mark's parents owned that house. John Mark, who went out on the first missionary journey, who also goes by Mark, who also wrote the Gospel of Mark under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. His mom and dad, his mom's name is Mary, another Mary. What a spiritual investment who said to the Lord, listen, God's blessed us. We're wealthy. We have this ginormous house with this ginormous upstairs room. Use it. And so the Last Supper with the Son of God makes use of that room. And that's not where it stops. After he rises from the dead, where's the first service? Sunday, Resurrection Sunday evening. It's in the upper room again, right? And then uh, the following Sunday night, where are they meeting when Thomas says, I'm not going to believe until I die. Where did that happen? The next week on a Sunday in the upper room. And so this is the room upstairs where they are now. More than that, in 10 days from unpacking their stuff in this upper room, the Holy Spirit's going to descend on the Jewish holiday of Shabbat, which is today in Israel, And 
next Sunday for the rest of the world called, in the Christian world, the, the, the uh, Pentecost Sunday. But it is Shavuot for weeks, the Feast of Weeks. So on Shavuot, when the Jews were, would be celebrating the giving of the law, on Pentecost Sunday, instead of the giving of the law, and the Jews are celebrating that when the law came down, he sends the Holy Spirit of grace on the same day. The law came down on Shavuot. The Spirit comes down of grace on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 people died. Check it out. When the law came down, they got out of hand. They stepped over the boundaries, and God put to death 3,000 people. This is the ministry of the law. Thou shalt not. Boom. 3,000 people. The law comes down. 3,000 people dead. Grace comes down. Peter stands up and preaches. 3,000 people are born again. Oh, only God can do this. This is no man-made book. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. And so on that day, spilling out from the upper room, man, when they get to heaven, what is going to be their reward? The, the owners of that house that just said, hey, if you got used for it, please, it's a big house, use it. And so he does. And all through even the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 12, they're still meeting in the upper room. And so, beautiful thing. And so, yeah. So, like I said, 3,000 people get saved on uh, Pentecost Sunday coming up that spilled out over from the upper room in 10 days from their unpacking. And all of those 3,000 people speak Hebrew because all of the first 3,000 Christians are all Jews. They're all Jews. But that's got to change because God so loved the world. The gospel comes first to the Jew, then to the Gentiles, and the word Gentile means nations, to the rest of the nations. Always God's intent. He just needed to come through a door. The door is just functional. It's not, I, I like the Jews better than everybody else. It's just, these are my people. I'm going to come through this race. They have special blessing because of that. But I come through them, and I kick down the door, boom, into the whole world. And so 11 disciples are there, plus some. The roll call is given there, and we see all the guys uh, with some of them with their extra middle names or their nicknames being used. And then verse 14 says there are the ladies, the sweet ladies are there, no doubt the wives, a lot of wives, and no doubt the women from Luke chapter 8 that are named. Mary Magdalene's named as a follower. Mary Magdalene, who had seven demons, the Bible says. And then God uses her as the star of Resurrection Sunday. She's the first witness of the resurrection. A woman who was demon-possessed. A woman! Back in those days, boy, God is all about honoring women and, 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 and affirming their value and worth in the sight of God. And so uh, Susanna is mentioned, uh, Joanna is mentioned, uh, John and James' mom, Mary, is mentioned there as well. And it says that these women who are in the upper room with the 11 plus a lot of other people, since there are 120 people in the room on uh, Pentecost, uh, we know that these women gave 
supported the ministry out of their own finances, Luke chapter 8 says. And so, and P.S., the half-brothers are there as well. Now, you know, it was hard for the brothers. They didn't believe in Jesus growing up, right? Uh, You know, it would be hard to have an older brother who thinks he's God, right? (laughs) (laughs) With a Messiah complex, you know? (laughs) Poor Mary and Joseph. I mean, they could never say, why can't you be more like Jesus? Because they say, because he's God, Mom. (laughs) Yeah, so they pretty much hated him and resented him because he was the perfect seven-year-old. He's the perfect eight-year-old. He wasn't 30 when he was eight, but he's perfect eight-year-old. Perfect 13-year-old, perfect, 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 and they're done with him. And so in John chapter 7, uh, they, that there's a feast in Jerusalem and they say, aren't you going to go up? You Mr. Famous, Mr. I want to be famous. Ah, this is the book of James and the book of Jude speaking. James and Jude, they're his half-brothers and they're in the room. Now they're on board because after he rose, he went to see them. The Bible says a little sibling get-together, a little family reunion. <laughs> oh, I would have liked to be at that one. <laughs> All right, so, and what's important before we dive into the next paragraph, you don't see it in the English, but boy, that, um, they all join together constantly in the Greek is like, it says really literally one man praying constantly. One man, as one man. They were so united. They were so in love with God. They were so excited. They'd seen the risen Lord. He said, you're going to get power. You're going to be my witnesses. I'm going to use you in powerful ways. And they're just together, and they're dropping all their dumb stuff they had. And what was important in the room was not about them and their little offenses and what they got going on. They came together for the purpose of preparing for what? They're praying for what? It says constantly praying for what? For exactly what Jesus told them to go do. You're about to be clothed with power so that you can share the gospel so that people won't go to hell. That's what they're all thinking about. He's going to empower us to make us good gospel sharers, witnesses. That's what he said. They aren't gathered together uh, talking about the pandemic. They're not gathered together talking about uh, political things. They're not praying and all focused in one accord about racial division. They're not. These are all important things. The gospel has truth that affects these things. But keep first things first or you'll miss the bullseye. You could be shooting for Hawaii and your course correction. You're off one degree. You miss it by miles and miles and miles and miles. Do not get let Satan say, look, let's talk about this. Let's all get, spend all of this time and effort about this, that, and the other thing. And there's a ton of this, that, and the other thing going on right now. Even in your personal life, he says, listen, there's something bigger than you and your problems and the world as you see it. It's what I want you to do. And they got it. They got together and they're praying to be filled with God's spirit for power so that when they go out to school and the teacher says, you know something, liberal <laughs> or, or something anti-Christ, they're able to be a light. Your coworkers, you know, remember when you used to go to the gym 
We don't do that anymore. <laughs> but when you did, and when you do, to be somebody who sits down at Thanksgiving table and is able to help your uncle not spend eternity in a Christless world forever. That's why God thinks you exist. That's, he's under that impression. You may think you have some other uh, overarching purpose of your life. and We do have lots of things going on. But from God's point of view, nothing is more important to God in this age than to get people on the lifeboat. Let everything else, we'll deal with that. But if we do the, the first things first, everything else seems to be falling into place. Amen? I think you get that. Let's uh, move on here to the second point for sure. All right, so verse 15, during those 10 days, they're meeting. Peter takes charge. He just stands up. There's 120 of them, but one guy's got to stand up and say, let's corral this group. Let's shepherd this. Let's look at this from a biblical point of view. What happened with Judas? Where do we go now? What do we do about his spot? Somebody in the room has to stand up, and God always makes sure where his people are congregated, there's one man who will do that and stand up. And so we come to our second point. The pastor leads always. If you don't have a pastor, you don't have a church, you have a Bible study, you can have lots of stuff that's edifying. But you need a pastor, a God-called, God-qualified, God-gifted person who God leads to shepherd his people lest there be confusion, lest there be scattered ideas, lest there, there not be a way to understand the Judas and the trauma in our lives apart from the word. And that's exactly what he does. He's going, watch this pastor, Pastor Peter is going to stand up and he's going to give a theological framework for Judas. How are we supposed to think about him? He was one of us, right? And so, yeah, one of us, look at the text. He was one of us in part of this ministry. How do we think about this? Well, you've got to have a pastor or you're not going to know how to think about it. You're going to think about you're going to think unbiblical thoughts led by your feelings, grief, disappointment and confusion, but the pastor will always stand up and from the word of God give you the framework to understand even the crazy things, the betrayals in the light of his truth. Yeah. There were 70 elders who led Israel, but one Moses, and they all came under Moses. David uh, had his inner circle. He had a cabinet of very wise counselors. Uh, but there was one David. And like uh, Harry Truman, our uh, former president back in the day, he had a plaque on his desk that said, the buck stops here. And in God's kingdom as well, there's got to be one man surrounded by perhaps a plurality, plurality of elders. But there's still, even in a group of leaders, and look at the, that room, is filled with other leaders. But there's one they will look to. In Acts chapter 15, when there's a problem with the regional churches, Jerusalem's the headquarters, and they're having difficulties telling the Gentile Christians how to live as, uh, because they're, they've got some Jewish ideas in Jerusalem. So there's a council that meets, and all the guys share, their leaders gather together, and then James, Pastor James, yes, his half-brother, James of the book of James, stands up as pastor, and he decides. 
He listens to everybody. Everybody's leading together, but there's always one. Even the geese, they know you got to have a head honker. You know, <laughs> you got to, if we're going to move forward, people, we need one guy out in front going, <laughs> right? I think so. Well, anyway, yeah. let me prove my point. Acts chapter 14, verse 23. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders, elders, pastors, uh, and uh, elders, pastors, and overseers are used interchangeably in the word. Appointed pastors for them in each church. There was never a church that didn't have a pastor in the Bible. That's just the way it is. It's not very popular in progressive Christianity. We throw out Anybody who's up there saying this, this, and this, and this. No, we'll all figure it out together. So it's not really a biblical one. So yeah, uh, I think you get the point. We can go back to the text there. So he he stands up and he says, listen, don't be blindsided. He says, okay, everybody, listen up, brothers, meaning, hey, guys. And that means all the women, just like we do, right? So he says, brothers, listen up. Let me tell you how to think about Judas in light of the Bible. Let me give you some theology about Judas because what? They're blindsided. They're shocked because he was one of them and no one knew it. Oh, when Jesus says, somebody at this table is going to go sideways and betray me. They all go, what? They all go, I would picture them all go (laughs) looking at Judas. Well, of course, there he is. Duh. We've seen this coming for three years, right? Didn't I tell you, John? (laughs) You know? Oh, no, 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 no one has a clue. Is it I? Is it I? Is it I? Is it I? They don't know, and then he's gone. It's like, how do I think about this? And so he says, let me just tell you. He says, from God's point of view, the Bible, King David, the Holy Spirit put a word in King David's mouth in Psalm 69 for Judas, that God saw Judas coming a thousand years ago. So God's not surprised. Judas, here's what he's telling the the flock, Pastor Pierre. Judas didn't ruin God's plan. And nothing, and no Judas today, come higher hell water, God's plan goes on because uh, the pastor's able to look at it in a sense of what the scriptures say and so we can think about all of our things. So when the pandemic comes, the pastor stands up and says, listen, the whole world's freaked out and pandemic, pandemic, panic, right? What does the church say? Well, I can say as a pastor, uh, Jesus uses the word pandemic in Luke chapter 21. He says, when you see the pandemic, the word is pestilence. It means pandemic. When you see that happening, I want you, here's your reaction, not panic, praise. I want you to look up because your salvation is closer than you think even at the door. So the pandemic is signaling to Christians but a pastor has to tell us this. The pastor says it should signal not fear, not confusion, not division among you but a collected unified excitement and praise to live for God and pedal to the metal because Jesus said when you see it just know I'm as close as the door. Amen? Amen? Amen. Yeah, thank you, all three of you. 
<laughs> no, I know. You're with me on this. I, I feel it so for sure. So yeah, all of this stuff. All of it. And so how are we? How are we supposed to, you may be asking, how are we supposed to deal with our Judases? Because every church, everywhere, every Christian community will always, all the time, have Judases. What do we do? How do we think about it, right? When our friends, our family members, our so-called pastors, so-called social media influencers, the Christian worship leaders, the famous singers who are talking about Jesus all the time, and suddenly they come out and they say, you know what, I'm not buying that Christian stuff anymore. How are we supposed to think about that? Well, the Bible says, dear ladies and gentlemen who love the Lord, the Bible says if they go out from us, it proves they never were of us in the first place. Now, if they come back, then we find out, oh, they had a nasty little time of backsliding, which is quite possible. You will never know until the end. The behavior could mean that they were never connected in the first place or that they're falling there seven times as righteous people do, but they get up. And so that's the way to think about it. And let me just tell you this. I'll present those scriptures to give you some framework about people who fall away and betray Jesus and betray us. They go online. Oh, I hate that church now. Oh, they're so narrow-minded. And you, you can't come in and just be who you are, the way God, uh, that they have rules. You have to repent and repent. And then God will accept you and all of this. And they're so backward and, and hateful, right? They were here with us, eating at our tables and loving and laughing with us. How do we think about it? Here's how to think about it. Second Timothy, for time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine that you've got to repent of your sins to be saved, to trust in Christ, to walk a straight and narrow path, to repent of any behavior, whether you were born that way or not, to repent of any behavior that's not consistent with the second birth. Who cares how you were born the first time? It's not the prerequisite. The requirement to get to heaven isn't how you were born the first time. It's how you're born the second time. And that behavior better be consistent with the character of the Bible and the commandments, right? So they'll gather together a great number of hipster teachers to teach them what their itching ears want to hear. I want to hear that I don't have to repent and be worried about this wrathful God on the world and the end of the world and judgment and all of that. I don't want to hear that. Could you itch right there? Can, can you itch? <laughs> yeah, you don't itch me right there. You scratch me right there, but I have an itch, right? And so they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to nonsense. And if you think it's going to get any better, guys... Evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, here it is. As for you, this is all going to go on right next, right to you, maybe at your own family table, maybe from the pulpit, maybe on the leadership team. But as for you, you continue. You keep going. You keep your head in all, every circumstance. You do the work of an evangelist. You share the gospel. You stay steady in the strength of God's might. Amen. Amen. So now, you know, we're heading a little bit toward 
um, more practical concerns starting at 18 as we get ready to finish up. Uh, with the reward money, Judas purchased some property, and with that reward, um, uh, he bought that field, right? And so that's exactly where he, his body ultimately fell, bursting open in that field. Verse 19, the news spread all over town, and they named it the field of blood. It became a cemetery, by the way. Uh, verse 20, so said Peter. That's why it says in Psalm 69 and verse 25, let us home be abandoned and nobody lived there. And again in Psalm 109, verse 8, let someone else take his position. So the Holy Spirit speaks to the pastor. Pastor, <laughs> pastor, I, it says here, this is referring to, Psalm 109 is all about the Judases in the world who laugh with you, who share your meals with you, who pledge their lives to you, and then they go out and do their own thing with a knife to the back. That's Psalm 109. And in Psalm 109 it says, okay, they go, bring in the ne next one. Life goes on. Replace him. So Peter says, that's what we'll do. We're not going to make a move without being able to, pastor should be able to say this, the reason we're making this practical move to replace somebody in leadership is because it says here in the Bible, right? And so he's just giving scriptural evidence for uh, the move that they're going to make. And so they've got to replace um, Judas. And uh, tear up your sympathy card for him because... Um, Honestly, uh, in Matthew 26, Jesus outs Judas to Judas at the table. Some of you forget this, but here's what he says. He goes, uh, the Son of God's going to have to die at the Last Supper, looking at Judas. The Son of God has to die, as the Scripture said long ago, but how terrible it will be for the one who will betray him. He's looking straight at, Jesus, at Judas' face. How terrible it will be for the man who betrays him. It would be far better for that man if he had never been born. Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Rabbi, is it me? And Jesus says, you've said it. To the sympathy card for that. Three and a half years of this close to God, God in a body, three and a half years of miracles, three and a half years of seeing the dead raised, the voice, unfiltered voice of God, you know, my takeaway for Judas is, Ross, guard your heart. There's a little Judas in every fallen heart. Watch out. When you get hard and you're like, I don't care, man, whatever, you know, sorry. <laughs> it came so naturally. <laughs> when you start hardening your heart and you're like, look, that guy fell away and now I just need a little break from God and I've never been back to church since. Oh, that just was used to reveal that you never were a part of things because you left, you see. But you're using that as a, as a nice, righteous excuse to cover yourself, you see. And so for me, I watch my hard heart or my, your intention to sin and not feel bad about it. Just, just know this, you'll destroy yourself. So he goes out and he says, what will you give me to lead you to him? I know where he hangs out, you know, and they said $300 in silver. And, and so he went off, as your scriptures say here, uh, and he bought a field, 
Now, Satan told him, because did you know that the Bible says when he left the table that night, Satan entered him? It's one thing to get a demon to possess you. It's another thing to have Satan himself. Only I know that the Antichrist gets that. And Judas, that's what they share in common. And so he goes, and, and Satan whispers, hey, you can buy a field with that, plant a garden, you know how much you love those kinds of things. Do your own thing, master of your own destiny, plant a crop, you know? And instead of planting a crop, he hung himself on one of those trees. Now, how do we reconcile the fact that he committed suicide by hanging himself, and yet we hear about his body falling open? Oh, that's easy. He hung himself under the Mediterranean hot sunshine. The rope gave way. Boom. Or in the attempt, something went wrong. And depending on what he was trying to do, where he was, boom, he falls. That's what happened. And why is it in there so graphic in your face? Boom. His guts are everywhere. (laughs) Why? Why? Why does the Bible do that? He didn't have to. He could have left that part out. just said, he burst open. We get it. (laughs) We know what's inside. Why? Why? Because he's saying, look, follow Judas, harden your heart. Those who oppose God, it'll be a bloody mess. It'll be a bloody mess. It'll be a horror movie. You want a horror movie? Then oppose God and turn your back on him. And you'll get your, your front row seats to a beautiful horror movie starring you. Okay, let's move on. Yeah, so I think you get... And, and so he's quick to say, Psalm 109 says, hey, he's gotta, we got to fill in the seat. You know why? We're not going to start the church in the book of Acts. He doesn't know what he, this, but we're not going to start planting churches with the eleven. Doesn't that sound like Satan? Well, what happened to the twelfth one? Well, it's a long story. Oh, no. We're going on as the twelve because the work goes forward, right? So let's finish up there. Last point here, uh, verse 21. We need to choose a guy that's been a part of things the entire time Jesus has been with us, 22, from the days of John the Baptist to the ascension just the other day. The twelfth guy has to have witnessed the risen Lord. Verse 23, uh, someone says, how about Joe? And the other one says, how about Matt? So they pray, God, you see straight into our hearts. Show us which one of these guys you want to replace Judas, who now got what he deserved. Verse 26, so they flip a coin, and Matthew, Matt calls heads, and heads it was. And so he's added to the eleven. What? is going on with that. I'm glad you're asking that. (laughs) Because I want to tell you all about it. And I'm gonna right now. So here's what's happening. I called it, I wrote down sanctified common sense. All right, so they've got the scripture. They know, well, we're not going forth as, we were 12, but now we're 11 because, you know, we're not doing that. God says, just bring him in. Pretend he never was here. Boom, we got another guy. So uh, the, 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 the new guy, common sense, he's got to have the whole picture. From John the Baptist, three and a half years ago, he's got to have heard that voice from heaven say, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. In case you think he's getting baptized for sins, like you sinners are, oh no, no, the voice from heaven, he's had to have heard 
that voice and seeing the crowds crushing Jesus and see the demons come screaming out and the crazy people being put back in their right mind and uh, gnarled hands from leprosy that are missing digits, you do realize they appeared. He needs to have seen all of that, right? We don't have to sit him down and say, now, well, you know, you know, there was this leper. No, <laughs> He's, he needs to have the, heard the breathtaking authority in which God spoke. Because that was the thing. When Jesus spoke, everybody was, the word means put out of themselves, stunned because of the authority. Well, <laughs> makes sense because he is the one who spoke and the universe came into existence. And so the dilemma is, how about Joe? And then you hear, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then somebody had to say, well, what about Matt? And everybody's like, oh, yeah, Matt, yeah. And every the same equal kind of response. And so now Pastor Peter's like, what's going on here? My first takeaway was I would have never thought that there were in the upper room are two guys who are like-hearted with the apostles who have been with them in every chapter of the Gospels. They just were standing a little bit further. I just wouldn't picture that. Like when Jesus walked by and said, you, you, and you. He's standing over here. He's like, ooh, that was close, (laughs) right? (laughs) But they were there the whole time and they stayed in. From John chapter 1 all the way through, they were there. All the gospel stories, you can picture Matt and Joe. They were there. That's the thing. When we get to heaven, everybody will quote, quoting the Bible, will receive their praise from God. But right now, you would never know about Matt or Joe unless this happened. But there's a ton of Matts and Joes and, and Maddie, Madison, and Josephinas out there. Phew, that translated quickly there. <laughs> I needed a name that worked, and I did. I'm so glad. So uh, a good reputation and respect are worth more than silver and gold. There are two guys sitting on the couches, I picture it. Both that clean conscience glow. Both every word out of their mouth is filled with joy and spirit and goodness. And they could qualify to be a disciple in their minds. And everybody in the room would go, yeah, of course. That just blows my mind. And you know what? We got people, we got a ton of people like that in this church. It gives me goosebumps sometimes that they talk about it because I've never seen anything like it. The young adults, there are 60, 75 young adults that meet here. Some of them came over uh, to do yard work to raise support for their missions trip. Here's what they say to us. We want to pay and support them to go to missions. They're like, well, we don't really need the money. We just want to be a blessing. So give the money just to the church for the scholarships for those who are, are coming. We personally don't need it but we're just working to help others. What is wrong with them? (laughs) In the most beautiful way. And they have that look. I'll tell you this other thing. Two young men just happened to join us on our pastor's meetings. We have pastor meetings, obviously. Two young men who we just consider, yeah, of course, they should be in our meeting with us. They're being raised up. They shared our hearts. So I, we wouldn't do anything. We're not afraid of bringing anything with them because that's the kind of 
Young men they are. And that's in hospitality. I run into people all the time who's just with hearts of gold. The ushers. These women who greet and all kinds of things. And children's ministry is just an incredible thing to have a reputation where you're not perfect. You're blameless. You're blameless before the Lord. And you shine. And you have the aroma of Christ. And so these two guys, and what a dilemma. What do we do? They both could, oh, yeah. Uh, you know, and so... Uh, what to do when two men with sterling character meet all the qualifications of being an, uh, an apostle? You roll the dice, right? Or you flip a coin or draw straws. What? So what's going on there? Commentators love this. There's a whole chapter of what were they thinking? Well, number one, it's a fair question. Uh, but they did want to rely on God, and they were torn there. And they knew they had to find somebody like that. And so probably they're thinking about the proverb in, in chapter 16, verse 33, that says, the lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Now, in the Old Testament, he is not, it's my understanding he is not advocating rolling dice to find God's will. He's just, the point of that proverb is this. There's no such thing as chance. God is the Lord of chance. That's the point, not in advocating of flipping a coin or spinning the globe and saying, where should we go to vacation? Boom. You know, no, you're going to end up in Botswana. You know? <laughs> or yeah, you know, God, I just need a word today. And you flip the Bible open and then you go, boom. You know, and then it says, <laughs> watch out. You know, you just have to be careful with that. But the point is, is that they are familiar with stories like when Jonah's on a boat and the freak storm comes out of nowhere and the worldly sailors see it as a God thing. They say, we're going to cast lots and find out who's the cause of this trouble. And boom, the lot goes to Jonah. And then when Achan sins in, in the whole entire army there back in the Old Testament, and does something that costs Israel a simple battle that they should have won and 36 lives. Joshua wants to know who is it. And from an entire nation, by casting lots or drawing straws, it comes down from a nation to a region, to a clan, to a family, to the one. So they're probably thinking, hey, you know, we've prayed I'm sure there's a little fasting going on. They want God's word. They're, they're doing things biblically. God, just show us up. Heads or tails. That's how it happened. Now, you never hear about Matt again, but you don't hear about Matthew either. You don't hear about Philip again. This Philip. You don't hear about Bartholomew. There's a lot of disciples you're not going to hear from again. So that doesn't necessarily mean that they did the wrong thing. Long story short, we're going to find out. Is it the Apostle Paul or is it Matthias? Because you're going to find out because on the foundation stone of the celestial city called the New Jerusalem, each one of the 12 get their name. Right? The replacement name. And we'll find out then and there. When you walk by, you'll be looking at it. Lord willing, you're there. And <laughs> Sorry, just checking. <laughs> <laughs> and it's either going to be Paul or it's going to be Matthias. 
And either way, hey, by the way, Paul seemed to be okay with it. Paul said, you know, I'm an apostle, but it's like born out of order. So he didn't seem to object to the idea that Matthias was one of the 12. And so we'll see. Uh, I want to close out with this. If you, if you come to a de- place where you need to make a decision, the Bible says you've got a multitude of godly counsel will help you. God's word is a lamp into our feet, a light to our path. So we look at the word. The Holy Spirit gives us words of wisdom and knowledge and discernment. So there are ways to find God's will apart from random occurrences of trying to do it the shortcut way. I think that that's it. And these several things right here, I'll just list them. You'll never make a misstep if you do what they did. They were obeying. They were in obedience. They were in unity and in fellowship with the body. Uh, They were in prayer. They were seeking the scriptures. Hey, look what it says. Psalm 109 says, hey, let's do that. The disciples wanted to do God's will, and they used the little sanctified common sense. The bottom line, Proverbs 3, verse 5. If you're up against the choice, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways in your life, just love him. Make it about him. Acknowledge him. And he will direct your path one way or the other, and it'll be good. Let's pray. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness. We look to you now as we close out our time together with a song. We pray that you would move in a powerful way to seal these truths and make us understand them in a deeper way. In Christ's name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.